0: Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbine, community based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices.
1: And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth.
0: Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is, is a Soulfire Fire production. production. Good morning.
2: Good morning.
0: I'm in Santa Barbara. I drove up this morning. I had a very, um, very exciting uh, last couple of days. And I'll fill you in on that as we go. But it's really good to be live in person. You made me some tea. Thank you very much. I'm working on about four and a half hours sleep.
1: Yay. Sounds like the old days when you used to drive back and forth Santa Barbara, San Diego.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you want to know why I only have four hours sleep? Because you had a break? I did. And you know what else kind of what other... It's my favorite kind of birth. What's my favorite kind of birth? Breach. A breach, mm-hmm. primep, home birth. hmm Just if, if she did not want it videoed, which was a shame. Because she that baby mean. did every single perfect cardinal movement.
2: She so didn't have perfectly. to perfectly. You didn't have to
1: interfere at all.
0: I did because she she couldn't push on all fours. She pushed on her back. So mm-hmm. at the very last minute I had to like flip one arm out, flip the other arm out, mm-hmm. and then just gently. Uh, do a brock maneuver with a little marcel smelly Vite in there <laughs> and then came out with apgar's a nine and nine weighed seven pounds two ounces she was four days past her due date she broke all the rules okay so she traveled down from washington state
2: cool,
0: because she didn't really have good choices there even though washington is a state where breaches can be born with midwives she just didn't feel Come. right mm-hmm. she found her podcast randomly which mm-hmm. is how she ended up finding me.
2: Yes. It wasn't
0: like a, re- a mouth re- a referral by mouth or anything like that. It was just random. She was doing, she does her research. Okay. She came down, she was with Dr. Flores. Mm-hmm. I came to town yesterday the, to cover Dr. Flores, who had some minor thing done. And of course, very first time I'm there, <laughs> she goes right into, she goes into labor. I only met them yesterday. And, oh, then, wow. and last night, she just did beautifully. She reached a wall and doula Daisy and midwife Kayleen talked her through the wall. It was great. And then we changed position because I think it was partly that she was on a wall in a certain position and wasn't working for her. Mm-hmm. And then uh, she broke the bag of waters on her own. And like 40, 35 minutes later, baby was out. Lovely. And it did all the right movements. It was just great. And we just, it was just sort of a, a, a lovely party. Not partying, party, but just a gathering afterwards. Where we just sat and we talked for like three hours till about three in the morning.
1: Mm -hmm. Lovely. Welcome back to Cali.
0: Yeah, it's not comfortable being back here.
1: But that was a nice welcome. Yeah, it was. Yeah, what's not comfortable?
0: I don't know. I I drove. You know, I drove out of the desert on the 15, Mm -hmm. coming into town. I just didn't feel. Like this was home anymore. Yeah, I
2: get that.
0: And it's not. Mm -hmm. And the traffic wasn't bad. But, you know, there were just certain signs in the town and stuff like that. Some crazy people in the CVS and and that I went to. And I want to salute the, uh, I don't know who passed away, but they're driving up here this morning on every overpass was a fire truck with the fireman standing on top of it. Mm -hmm. And I passed a motorcade. Mm-hmm. that so somebody big in the fire department passed away this morning mm-hmm. and it was sort of heartwarming to see the um, pomp and circumstance for a fallen hero <laughs> <laughs> you know how I get oh god so yeah I have another birth I'll talk about in a little bit too Another.
1: I know you've got some birth stories it's awesome
0: yeah so I'm getting settled
1: in your new home in my
0: Utah, new, my new home in Utah, and then I had to, to
1: visit. I had
0: to leave. I had to spend a few days in Vegas, and then I came to here. And then I'm going back for a couple of days, and then I'm going to go skiing and with my family. And then I'm going to be home just before Christmas, and I'm going to stay home for a month. Awesome! And get rid of all the boxes <laughs>
2: <laughs> and settle in, put down roots. Yes.
0: Yeah. That's yeah. Great. Yep. And you're going to come visit.
1: I'm going to come visit at some point. I know you are. I don't know when that is. I am, am planning to either go to Bali or Mexico for my month off in February. So I'm planning that right now.
0: I will be in uh, Hawaii the second to last week in February. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can figure something out. Those are maybe, nice. Maybe you have to stop in Hawaii on your way to Bali or something like that. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. So I what- didn't
1: have any bursts this week. I had a burst the last week, but I'm on call for two mamas right now that know that I'm going off call on the 23rd because my boys are coming to Santa Barbara which I'm so so excited about and then we will spend a few days in LA because we're going to go to Disneyland for Skye's birthday which is on the 28th of December so that'll be really nice and yeah looking forward to it. Yeah we
0: don't have a guest today which is good because
1: we did but I moved her
0: I have a mind attic that needs to be cleared out periodically. You know, Sherlock Holmes has a mind palace, which sounds better than a mind attic.
2: Yeah, it it does. does.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But that's because he keeps everything in his mind palace and my mind attic needs to be empty. Mm -hmm. So I've got a whole bunch of things I want to talk about with you today. The usual fare, I think our listeners will find them interesting and, and a little annoying and sometimes infuriating and maybe a little bit uplifting as well. So should I start?
2: Sure. You don't want to tell you about your other birth? No, I'll
0: come to that. Okay. I'll come to that other. Well, you know what? We maybe we could just start with uh, an email by Brittany. I can have you read some of these too.
1: You can. Hey, by the way, we are planning to start a line next year that you guys can call in and tell us your stories and questions, and then you'll be on the podcast, and we'll answer them and play them on the podcast. I think that'll be a nice fun. Change for the yeah, team.
0: we're stealing the idea from some of our other people that we love.
1: Well, I, they also do it on one of my non-birth podcasts. Yeah,
0: and yeah. I think it's great. It won't be live. You won't be on live, but we'll be able to play your questions, yeah. your voices and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. be great. Okay, this is from Brittany. She writes, good morning. I just wanted to say thank you for the work that you do on this platform to educate on the physiologic birth as well as your work to normalize breech birth. I gave birth to my twins in 2019, and due to both being breached, I was only given the option of a cesarean. Both twins were taken to the NICU, and I couldn't be with them 36 hours following delivery, until 36 hours following delivery. How horrible is that?
2: Yeah, terrible.
0: Okay. I bet, what, why, do we, why, don't, why is that even acceptable? They're your babies, and why, why do we... It's not. Because we don't know anything. We passively accept that, oh, the hospital... Got our, our baby's best interest at heart and right. my best interest. No, they don't. They don't. And even if they did, it's still not their decision. Uh. <laughs> I then attempted a VBAC in a local hospital. And due to a tremendous amount of interventions and unsupportive staff, which is a very common thing that we see with people going, trying VBACs in hospitals that are VBAC unfriendly.
2: Right? Yes.
0: Okay. It resulted in my second C-section and another one-night NICU stay for my second daughter. To explain that, she walks in in labor with a perfectly healthy baby inside of her. And then somehow, because of the hospital's management, the baby ends up in the NICU for a day.
1: Potentially.
0: Yeah. Not well,
1: always the case. Right? No, yes, I'm just
0: saying, but if, if that was a home birth where the baby ended up in the NICU, Oh, everybody would be ranting and raving about home birth and how terrible it is. This is true. Correct. That's, yeah, what, that's my,
1: We are definitely screwed tonight. That's
0: my point.
1: <laughs> point made.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love when you do comments like that. It's pretty cute. All right. Following that birth, I enrolled in a program to become a doula. A, a very common reason for women to be motivated to go into birthing stuff is they, is because they had either a really good experience when they okay. were a kid or they had a tougher experience and they they wanted to maybe make a change or do something. So yep. I'm I'm proud. so proud when I hear that sort of thing. I was determined to educate myself for any personal births I would have moving forward, as well as having the desire to educate and support other mamas in reaching their birthing goals. On September 25th, I'm going to get choked up here. Okay. Okay. Uh, I welcomed a beautiful 10 pound, 10 ounce baby girl. Yay. Toddler.
1: No, it's perfect. <laughs> Love it.
0: <laughs> In the comfort of my own home, with the best midwife and birth team I could have asked for, it brought both my husband and I so much healing. Your podcast was such a great resource for me. And as I was preparing for this birth, my amazing midwife has also had the opportunity to take one of your reteach breach classes. And I felt so comfortable knowing that if I ended up with another breech baby, that I could still deliver safely at home. Thank you for what you do, Brittany.
2: That's amazing. I love it.
0: Right. So again, like my client from last night with the breach, she broke every rule. You know, she had a home birth, two C sections, and with a midwife with a baby that's way too big to fit out of your pelvis, mm-hmm. and she did it anyway.
1: I like to think about it as them breaking rules, I like to think about them as finding their sanity.
0: Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. <laughs> my, my breaking my rules is my is is sort of me mocking. Yeah. Mocking the system, mm-hmm. correct. The system that says, no, you can't do that sort of thing. So anyway, that's that. So the reason I wanted to read that story first was because um, of what happened to me in this other birth that I went to where a woman had had a C-section in her first baby. She'd gotten all the way to completely dilated. She'd been induced from my review of the records for absolutely no no reason yeah, whatsoever. which is
1: very normal.
0: She got to complete... She got to where you could see some of the caplet when she pushed, Mm -hmm. but two hours had gone by apparently or something like that in the time limit. And so they had to call the doctor in and the doctor came in and said, we need to do a C-section and she ended up having a a C-section. I don't, she doesn't remember. I don't remember if she had, I don't see that she had even an attempt at a vacuum or anything like that.
1: I was going to say, you would probably, if you could get the top of the baby's head, you would at least try. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, how could you not? Mm-hmm. That's what being an obstetrician is,
2: mm-hmm.
0: is you could help that baby out, whether it's by a vacuum or forceps, if you knew what you were doing, mm-hmm. but clearly. So she ended up dilating all the way to 10 and pushing for several hours and having having a C-section, which mm-hmm. is such a rare event mm-hmm. in our world. Mm-hmm. And so this time she just wanted the confidence. She didn't need me at her birth, but she wanted me at her birth along with her midwife, which who was great. And um, there were, actually, there were two midwives there and a midwife student, and we got to witness just another powerful story of a woman who wanted to be on her bathroom floor. She was in the water for most of the laboring, but she got out and it was on the bathroom floor. And she, she too, got over that little wall that, that that sometimes you get, I can't do this, mm-hmm. a little fear wall. And she pushed it out and it didn't take that long. And it was beautiful that she didn't have any need any stitches. And she should have had her second vaginal delivery, but she had, you know, but now at least she has a healing uh, home H yeah. HBAC, whatever. Yeah. You right.
1: Congratulations.
0: So I was honored to be asked to be there because That's I really was not necessary, but yet I was necessary.
1: It's always an honor. And both of these moms went into labor right when you got there. I, I know.
0: I know. That's <laughs> a, that's a, not a, a, that's, there may be some significance of that. We've talked about that before, where story where a, a mom with breech baby comes to see me for a consult, and she's still a little nervous afterwards because her parents are nervous or something. Mm-hmm. So I volunteer to go on Zoom with her parents. We have a conversation on Zoom with the parents. And then three hours later, she goes into labor. She's
1: all, ah, and then... Uh. yeah (laughs) she gets to exhale and then uh goes into labor it's not quite that fast
0: so yeah it was fun doing bursts again but i'm looking forward to not being back on call yeah (laughs) seven more days
1: well we're happy that you're here i think every once in a while it'll be fun for us to see you
0: well that's gonna happen good yeah yeah because you're here <laughs> For and, now. and my kids are in town and stuff like that.
1: Or now, so,
0: yeah. But it is a weird thing coming into Southern California. I really like the change.
1: I really like not being here.
0: <laughs> yeah. And the more I listen to mainstream news, the more I realize that being out of these major cities is probably a really good move when when more shit hits the fan.
2: Yeah. Right. Yep.
0: And there will be more shitty hitting the fan because these people can't stop shitting on us. Basically. Yeah. Is that a nice way to put it?
2: Not really, but I'll let you have it.
0: (laughs) So it's time to talk about another one of our sponsors. And this is a brand new sponsor who I was fortunate enough to meet some of the people that work there when I was at a dinner in Austin, Texas from thisisneeded.com. So Bliss, tell us a little bit about them.
1: Well, you know what's so cool is Julie, one of the founders, was my client. She had a beautiful home birth with me. And I know this company really well because... She's in Los Angeles. And Needed is a nutrition company focused on optimal nourishment for mamas. Needed offers the most comprehensive prenatal multi on the market with the best nutrient forms and dosages to help you thrive, not just survive. Not only is this nutritionally complete, but it also comes in three options, a powder, which I really love when they do powders for prenatals, because some women don't really like to take pills, especially when they feel nauseous. So they can throw it in a smoothie and get a lot of great benefits. So that I really do love capsules or essentials. The founder of needed are two mamas who discovered through their own nutrient testing that they were extremely deficient in the key prenatal nutrients, despite eating healthfully and taking a prenatal. They dug into the research and found that they were not alone. 90% of women who take a prenatal vitamin and yet 95% are left with nutrient deficiencies. So Julie and Ryan went to work and redesigned prenatal multi from the ground up with a group of perinatal nutrition and health practitioners. So check them out. They have an amazing line of prenatal vitamins and choline and collagen and all kinds of really great stuff. So yeah. check them out.
0: Yeah, I got a gift bag from them and it was filled to the brim with all the different things they have. And once I get my medicine chest in order in the new house, I'll be excited to open them all and start giving the ones that are appropriate for me to try.
1: Yeah, because they have a line for men too now.
0: Right. And and you know what? There's a lot of variety out there. It's kind of like when you're shopping for shampoo, and you look at the shelf, and you don't even know where to begin if you don't have a brand that's your favorite. So let's make Needed our new favorite brand and and use them. And all you have to do is to go to thisisneeded.com, just spell it out, T-H-I-S-I-S-N-E-E-D-E-D.com. And in this case, put in the code word, Birthing Instincts, and you'll get either 20% off a one-time purchase, which is a really good deal, or you'll get $100 off of a three months or greater subscription. So Go to thisisneeded.com and use Birthing Instincts and give them a try. They support us, so we're going to support them.
1: Yay, needed.
0: Thank you, needed. So here's a letter from Carly. And Carly is a labor and delivery nurse. So you can probably figure out where this one's going.
1: By the way, I have a bunch of nurses who are in my care right now. Why not home? Why Not Home? Yeah, a lot of
0: them. Yeah. Do people know Why Not Home is? Why Not Home is a documentary that was, I don't know when it came out, maybe six, seven years ago, I suppose. It's about five hospital birth workers that all choose to give birth at home.
1: From the same area.
0: Same hospital, I Mm -hmm. think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So anyway, okay. So let's read Carly's letter. You want to read it? Sure. Then I can chime in. All right. Okay. The whole thing? Yeah, I'll be too snarky. So you read it.
1: Hi, Dr. Stu. I had recently reached out on Instagram. I'm a family nurse practitioner and I work at an OBGYN clinic. I also still work PRN. You
0: know what PRN means? I don't remember. As PRN. needed.
1: Oh, okay. It's a,
0: it's, <laughs> we write it on a prescription. It's take take as needed.
1: I love it. As a nurse in labor and delivery. I'm so thankful for the info that you and Bliss provide on your podcast. I have worked in women's services over the past seven years, and my eyes became open to this issue with conventional OBGYN care early on in my career as an L&D nurse. We have routinely induced people at 39 weeks in the hospital that I work for, and for the most part, we have great outcomes for achieving vaginal deliveries. The nurses are great at getting the patients in active labor before allowing them to have epidurals, which... Is an important point, actually, getting someone to uh, active labor, or I like to say like five or six centimeters is really great if you can do that. Consistently keeping patients repositioned once they do get their epidural and allowing patients to labor down to avoid pushing for hours
0: on end. All great. Yeah. So these are, these are if you're going to have a hospital birth, these are epidural. all things that you mm-hmm. want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want to avoid the epidural for as long as possible mm-hmm. if they allow you to move and you want you want to be able to move. Yes. Some hospitals just won't allow you to move because you have to wear the belts. Right. Because it's so important.
1: Yeah. The culture of the nursing staff has always been that we feel like a failure when we can't get our patients delivered vaginally.
0: You know, that's really good to know, too, because we we what you're making a face.
1: Well, because, you know, I mean, it's good that it's a goal um, to support that. But to blame ourselves for the outcome of any delivery is really not the best thing either. yeah
0: yeah that's true i yeah. mean she says she feel like a failure but i think she, i don't think they're blaming themselves i think it's a little hyperbolic about the system yeah. and and the fact is that it's nice because i think there's a lot of nurses who get burned out just like doctors do and even midwives do and they just want they just want to especially in big residency type programs, they just want to move people through and they don't really have a vested interest in them and how they deliver. That's what I'm saying. Which is great. So it's nice to hear that these nurses care.
1: Totally. The majority of the staff also loves assisting patients in natural deliveries where we can assist mothers in avoiding drugs. However, we still work with OBGYNs who do love to induce patients to fit their surgery and family schedules. Most patients get epidurals and we frequently utilize high dose Pitocin, up to 40 MU per minute. I have seen so many outcomes where blood pressures bottom out after epidurals, and then we have to manage late fetal heart tone D-cells, even with adequate fluid bolus prior to epidural administration.
0: Yeah, this is a very common thing that a lot of, we just used to have this running thing with the anesthesiologists at Cedars is every time they put an epidural in, or just about every time, about 20 minutes later, you'd have a fetal bradycardia for like five minutes. Mm And then it would resolve
2: mm-hmm.
0: and they would take their blood pressure and their peripheral blood pressure would be fine. Mm-hmm. But we always said, well, they're having a drop in their central blood pressure from this anesthetic. No, 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 that's not possible. It's not our, it's not the anesthesia, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know,
1: it's weird that it happens all, if it all walks the time. like a
0: duck and talks <laughs> like a duck, it's probably a duck. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right.
1: Okay. Babies get stressed out from pushing them too far because doctors are calling asking what their pit is on and want it maxed out. Patients that do have to push for 2 plus hours because of malposition, no matter how much we get repositioning patients with epidurals, postpartum hemorrhage related to prolonged labors from inductions or augmentation and NICU ad- admissions related to immature lung development even at a presumed 39 or 40 week induction. Mm-hmm. I have been aware of and also been on the unit when Very poor outcomes occurred following conventional deliveries. I like conventional, where I know these babies were pushed past their limits by various medical interventions. These are all my speculations, obviously, and not scientific fact. I do believe that there is a blessing that mothers can choose if they want to receive epidurals and that we can induce patients for medical reasons and perform a C section in the rare case. That is actually
0: needed. So what she's saying is she's okay, she's good. happy, she's happy that these options exist.
1: Oh, I see, I see. Okay.
0: Yeah. It's, I could tell it when you read it, she was know, was it. She's happy that these options mm-hmm. exist, except go on. Okay. But I wish.
1: But I wish I worked in a world where providers provided true information to patients instead of telling them things such as, Do you know how bad labor hurts? Are you fine with an induction at 39 weeks? We can get you delivered before your kids have to go back to school for the holiday, etc. There are so many topics I could cover from care in the clinic to things that bother me in the hospital setting, but I have patients to see. So I will stop now. Thank you so much for empowering women to make the safest options for their families long-term.
0: Yeah. So anyway, that's just, I wanted to read that into the thing because, you know, when we had Lindsay Milas on, you know, she said that when she was working labor and delivery, she felt like she was a witness to a crime. Totally. And I've had other people Tell me the exactly the same thing as at my seminars or as a doula. Yeah, they go to my seminars and they tell me these stories. And so, you know, I always think back to the to the interview that uh, Z Dog did with that guy that says, "Yeah, the problem with obstetrics in America is is the home birth problem,
2: <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> right?
0: You know, and you think about all the meddling that goes on in the hospital, and then the two births that I mentioned earlier today." Both of which would have been completely meddled on if they'd gone to the hospital, and they had these beautiful outcomes. These are the things that nobody talks about in the medical world. They only talk about the train wreck that comes in once in a while, mm-hmm. and it's never. And they never talk about their own train wrecks. So it just, yeah, we live in a world where uh, logic and common sense just are diminishing commodities <laughs>
1: everywhere. By the way, yeah. not just
0: in. You Earth. have something
1: there. So I have this cloud nine life wrote to me, Erin, on Instagram. And she said, hi, Bliss. I have to start by saying I love the podcast. You and Dr. Stu provide a such a safe, empowering space for me. I had a traumatic emergency, in quotes, C-section with my first daughter 4.5 years ago. Four and a half. I don't know why I said 0.5. Classic cascade of interventions, in my opinion but I had not educated myself at the time. I trusted the medical model of birth. We had a 12-week miscarriage a year and a half later, and we are now expecting our rainbow baby girl January 7th. I am planning a home birth in a state area where it is very unheard of and generally distrusted. I am so excited about it. Talk about breaking the rules. With a twinge of nervous too, of course. My home birth midwife has been great, and we can't wait to meet our daughter soon. Using the tools and knowledge I've gained from listening to podcasts like yours and reading, send us some prayers and good vibes when you think about it. And she said, I have a great idea, Bliss. You should record your own playlist of birth affirmations. Every time I listen to the podcast, your input always puts my heart and body at ease. I even contemplated having the podcast going during our birth.
0: (laughs) Some some of them might be better than others, actually.
1: (laughs) I know that may sound strange, but I love your energy. And if I lived anywhere near you, I'd be working with you. Thank you to you and Dr. Stu for the work you do and the love and knowledge you provide. And I said, thanks so much. Why don't you send me the words that you want and I'll record it for you. <laughs> so I'm, she did. She sent me a list of stuff and I'm going to send her a little review. With your voice? Yeah.
0: Are you going to put some music in the background?
1: Oh, sure. I'll put some music in the background.
0: Yeah. Some chanting or some uh, new age music <laughs> or something like that. That'd be great. Huh? Yeah, that's nice. That's a good thing because here's a here's a lesser good thing. <laughs> I love the roller coaster that we go on. It's good. We have you know we let sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry.
1: That's right. right. I don't think we're going to cry today, but we'll see.
0: Uh, you know, yeah. Not sure yet. I'm not sure. I got to go. So hey, Bliss, it's time to talk about one of our newest sponsors. Yeah, we're going to Splash gonna talk Blanket. About- I'm really excited what? about I'm really excited. I still haven't got mine cuz I haven't been home. But Well, you know, uh,
1: they're coming from Australia too. It's an Australian-based company.
0: Yeah, it was probably delivered today because I've been following uh, these things on my email. Anyway, tell us about Splash Blanket. <laughs> People don't want to <laughs> know that I'm waiting for mine.
2: Well,
1: you know what's really awesome about them? For one, they're luxurious. So they're so soft, and they're something that you absolutely would want to cuddle up next to. But the thing that makes it really amazing is that it is waterproof and absorbent and holds up to a liter of fluids without leakage. So there's so many different things that you can use this for. Originally, they made them for, you know, sexy time for people who wanted to have something underneath them. I don't know about you, Stu, I'm not going to ask you this question, but our listeners, you know, if you ever had sex while you were on your cycle and you, you know, you decided to pull out a towel or something, it's not really the sexiest thing in the world, but you have this beautiful, luxurious blanket to be able to put underneath you is really amazing. But they have all of these other ways that you can use it. So you can use it during your birth. If you're laboring and you are bleeding or having bloody show, or maybe your fluid is leaking, it's a beautiful thing for that you can use it postpartum. Maybe you're on your cycle and you are wanting to free bleed. And so you want to just be able to lay in bed and relax and not have to worry about that. It's a beautiful thing for that. They also talk about it for your babies, like putting it in their crib or something so that if you have leakage from their diapers or maybe your changing pad, um, they're so versatile in so many different ways you can use it. And Again, they're so beautiful. They have an amazing array of colors and definitely check them out. You want to have something lovely to have at your home birth. This is something that would definitely elevate that process.
0: Yeah. And obviously it's machine washable and just soft and cushy. And I'm very happy that they've chosen to be a sponsor for us. So if you if you go to um, www.splashblanket.com, that's S-P-L-A-S-H-B-L-A-N-K-E-T, for those of us who are literally challenged and mm-hmm. putting the code, the code birthing instincts, you get 11% off your purchase. So that's splashblanket.com, code birthing instincts for 11% off your purchase. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Splash blanket. Thank you. Shutterstock I think is a, is a website or a news organization. And they put out an article and I'm just going to give you a quiz ahead of the article. Okay. Right. The article is titled, The Biggest Drawbacks of Giving Birth at Home. Um, Listening? Well, I'm not sure that's part of the title, Listening to Heartbeat. I think that's a picture. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This is by Daniel Ramos-Sullivan. And yeah, I think that this, I edited out the picture so I could print it out so I could read it. So they talk to several different people in the birth world. And when they go to an expert about the dangers of home birthing, who do you think they go to? An OB. Which one? Can't think of it. Mm -mm. Cornell.
1: Uh Uh-huh. The Tannenbaum.
0: Chervenak, with a Grunbaum. Of course. They go to the old Reliables.
1: Because they've put out papers having to do with home birth. Right.
0: So So this is what, I mean, I'm not picking on Danielle, the author, but I'm saying climb out of your box. Okay. These aren't the only experts. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Whenever they go to home birth, they go to these two guys. These are not home birth experts.
1: They're not. They're not. No.
0: They write about it. They're not. Though. But they've they, never
1: probably they, never been. They,
0: they've never been one. Mm-hmm. They don't. They hate. They've hated them from the beginning. Mm-hmm. They're vested interests. They always write that we have no conflicts of interest, but they have absolute conflicts of interest. Anyway, so she writes. Most people don't think twice about whether they will deliver their baby. I know they should, but they don't. They should. <laughs> they naturally assume they will go to the hospital and have all their needs and their baby's needs attended to in a safe and healthy environment. You think that people actually think that? Yes. Many. Wake up. <laughs> <laughs> However, <laughs> did, I, did I break my mic? No, it's still working. Okay. Yeah. However, for many, the COVID 19 pandemic changed all of that and caused many people to consider having home births. Boop, boop. Home births have been on the rise in recent years especially since the COVID-19 pandemic. In 2019, there were 38,000 home births in the US, that's reported home births. There's mm-hmm. probably several more that weren't. Once the pandemic hit in 2020, home births hit a high of 45,000 for that year, which was close to a 20% increase in just one year. And I've heard recently that the it's up to uh, last year was 50,000, so it's gone up a little bit more. Yeah. Surprisingly, I know, but there's 4 million births a year. So 50,000 is like 1.1%. I know, but still, it's still a success.
1: It's increasing.
0: Optimism, pessimism. <laughs> Optimism, pessimism. Optimism, pessimism. Okay. Surprisingly, even after most hospital restrictions surrounding COVID have decreased two years later. Oh yeah, here it says. Boo. Home births are still on the rise. In 2021, there was a 12% increase as compared to 2020 as 50,000 home births took place via that reliable source, CNN. Okay. Yet, even with increasing numbers, planned home birth is still a risk.
1: Birth and life is a risk. Correct.
0: <laughs> Correct.
1: There's a risk to life.
0: Yes. yes. Why don't they write the same article, yet even with increasing numbers, planned hospital birth is still a risk? Let's just change the word. Okay. Yes. I would. And a much greater risk. But how great is it? I can't answer that. So when somebody says something's riskier, we always tell you, don't pay any attention to it because they don't know what they're talking about. Some of the reasons why home births greatly increased were simply because pregnant people were afraid of risking being in a hospital and contracting the virus. True. Mm-hmm. Particularly when the death rates were so incredibly high at the beginning of the pandemic. You know, they make that statement as if it's a fact. But the death rates weren't incredibly high in that demographic.
1: Pregnant women, you mean?
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. people under 50. Wow. Okay. The death
1: rates were high also because we didn't know what the heck we were doing when we were putting people on ventilators. Oh, we
0: still don't know. Killing them. We still don't know what we're doing. We're still telling them to take a a sixth booster and uh, Paxlovid. (laughs) Wow. But I don't agree with that statement. I don't agree with their particular point of view. Death rates were incredibly high at the beginning of the pandemic. Well, yeah, they were in in people that were over 80 with comorbidities. Mm-hmm. Right. However, even as the height of the pandemic lessened, hospitals placed restrictions on visitors, including who could be in the delivery room. At times, even spouses were not allowed to witness the birth, which I think is a crime against humanity. I almost was going to say. Too powerful. (laughs) Right. Well, it is a crime against humanity because it's inhuman to not let a father be there for the birth of their child. Like in the 50s? <laughs> yeah, but in the fifties, yeah, well, it was. But fifties, fifties, yeah. I think was a dumbness. I think now is cruelty,
2: mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm.
0: under the guise of safety.
2: Yeah,
0: safety that canard that's always used to manipulate people and deprive them of their liberty. Let's see. Okay, at times even spouses were not allowed to witness the birth. Wait, what's the difference? Oh, I guess they were talking about visitors, mm-hmm. and now this is spouses. I got ahead of myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> So many people decided that giving birth at home would be best for all involved. A story from the New York Post. They have links. Others worried they might be separated from their babies if they tested positive for COVID. A very valid concern. Yes. And still others were afraid of letting their newborns anywhere near a hospital where so many people were sick with the virus.
2: Makes
1: sense.
0: And some simply did not want to have to wear a mask during labor. Yep. Which is, again. All valid. All valid. (laughs) Even aside from COVID, many people don't want to give birth in a hospital for a multitude of varied factors. A big one is the presumed dissatisfaction with the care they would receive in a hospital out of of the story from the Mayo Clinic. So again, pointing out actually very valid reasons why people don't want to go to the hospital. People seek home birth for many reasons with or without a pandemic. Certified nurse midwife, Risa Klein, who is also the director of midwifery at Lenox Hill Hospital in New York, told Healthline. She added that other reasons are fear of hospitals, concerns about being separated from baby, and the worry about having to undergo medical interventions. Some people also prioritize their emotional well-being and feel that a hospital wouldn't be good for them. Sound good?
1: Yeah, I just don't like the language there. Some people also prioritize their emotional well-being. It sounds shaming to me.
0: Yeah, but it's it's not unexpected from someone who's a director of midwifery sure. at Lenox Hill Hospital.
1: Sure. I just want to point it out. And no mention of the fact that that actually might be safer or make their labor go faster because of the cocktail of
0: hormones that we talk about. all the right, time. Right. But then that would undermine the entire reason for the article. <laughs> OK, <laughs>
1: I mean, to un- undermine it.
0: Having less intervention, monitoring drugs, and disturbances from well-intentioned staff, including nurses and residents, are also on the list. Explain why. There we go, a little bit. Many people want to be heard, have privacy respected, have their older siblings at the birth, and hospitals in the area may not allow children at birth. Most will not. Mm -hmm. Home births pose significant risks. Here we go. The risk of infant death during a home birth is one to two out of every 1,000 home births, which is double the rate of hospital births. That's from WebMD. So let's analyze this number for a second,
1: and let's listen to
0: WebMD. <laughs> well, yeah, but let, but let's also analyze this thing. So the risk of an infant death of it not happening at a home birth is ninety nine point nine percent. Okay, mm-hmm. and in the hospital, according to this, if it's doubled, and then, then at the hospital, it's not the risk of not having it is ninety nine point nine five percent. Mm-hmm. So let's ask our listeners, how many people think there's a significant difference between 99.95 and 99.9?
1: Very good point.
0: But they don't say that because they only look at, you know, they're looking at relative risk. And that's the thing that they use to skew you into thinking that things are higher.
1: Yeah, because if you read this and you didn't have that information, that would sound scary.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. but the, but because people don't think of, well, one, one or two births out of every 1,000. All right. Well, what's the rate in the hospital? All right. Because they don't give the rate in the hospital. They say that it's double the rate in the hospital. But I would question that. I would say, which hospital are you talking? About? Now, granted, hospitals do take care of higher risk clients mm-hmm. and sometimes extreme preemies and that sort of thing. So I would like to know what the rate is in a similar cohort of women. But they don't say that. When an emergency occurs in a hospital, there's life-saving equipment and the ability to perform an emergency C-section in a matter of minutes. What do we always say about that?
1: That it takes longer, unless they're waiting to do that to get Yeah, that,
0: that's together. a false sense of security. And I will tell you, after working in a hospital for over 25 years, 30 years?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: No, 28 years. Excuse me. 28 mm-hmm. years in the hospital, I can tell you that's often said that why would you do something? We've got an operating room right down the hall. But when you have a true emergency, like an abruption of the placenta or a ruptured uterus or a, a prolapse cord, You don't necessarily have 20 or 30 minutes before that baby's going to suffer an injury. And it's very rare, except at some very unique hospitals, to be able to mobilize a team and get a woman who is in a labor room, maybe not even anesthetized at all, to down the hall and get the team in place, get her on the table, get her anesthetized, get her prepped, draped, get the surgeon there, get the assistant surgeon there. Get the OR crew there, get the NICU team down, if they even have a NICU. So when they say that they have life-saving equipment, well, the equipment's only as good as the operators using the equipment,
2: Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm.
0: Reminds me of the story when I went to Africa to with uh, curecervicalcancer.org. I've told this story before. Mm -hmm. And we did the see and treat method of screening for cervical cancer. We spray with uh, a vinegar-like solution. Acetic acid, actually, and which is vinegar. And then we look at the cervix. If there's an abnormality in the cervix, we would actually freeze it. Or later on, they went to thermal treatment. But they wouldn't do biopsies. They wouldn't do pap smears because they had nobody to read them. They don't have the money to send them off to a lab. Plus, you're never going to get that woman back there to come back for a follow-up right. visit. So right. we did that. A charitable organization, JAPIGO, which is John Hopkins' charitable organization, does a lot of good things around the world. But one of the things that they did in that point was five years earlier, they had sent this clinic we went to somewhere in Western Kenya a colposcope mm-hmm. to help look at cervixes. When we got there five years later, the colposcope was still in the plastic wrapping. Mm-hmm. They'd never opened it. Yeah. So, sending equipment or having good equipment is like the Monty Python sketch where we just need more machines that go beep. Okay. <laughs> Not necessarily that it's going to actually solve any problem. Okay. She goes on in the story. However, Delays occur when emergencies happen at home. The time it takes for an ambulance to get to the hospital may be too late. That's true. It may be too late. It may not be too late. It's like saying saying something may be something means it also may not be something. Right. So people have, when you start to see the way journalists and, and even people speak, and you realize the thing about one to two out of every thousand, or it may be riskier, You can't unsee it. They have a point they're making, and they're using their language to guide you down that path. When fetal heart rate drops during delivery, the baby is deprived of oxygen, which can result in brain injury, cerebral palsy, and stillbirth. That's true. Okay. So what do we do when we want to amplify fear in an article about home birthing? Who do we go to? (laughs) The magnitude of risk associated with home delivery is alarming, said Dr. Amos Grunbaum. Chief of Labor and Delivery at New York Presbyterian Weill Cornell Medical Center wrote in a piece published on the Weill Cornell Medical College website. Quote, "Parents need to be uh, parents to be need to know that if they deliver at home, their baby has a greater risk of dying or having serious neurological problems." Unquote. Once again, people who listen to me know what I think about somebody who says something has a greater risk. Greater risk doesn't mean anything unless you know what the actual. Denominator is. Mm-hmm. Grunbaum led a study that found that an increased risk of stillbirth, neonatal seizures, and serious neurological dysfunction in infants during home birth. And you and I have critically looked at that study in one of our previous podcasts, where they first rely on the wax paper. Mm-hmm. And then in their references, they reference three or four of their own papers against <laughs> home birth as evidence against home birth. And there's some serious flaws in that. And I even wrote, I think, a blog once. On dissecting the ethics of the ethicist, I think it's called, which looks looks at these guys and discusses that. And then I posted it once and I got a, a nasty and I tagged Amos Grunbaum on it. And I got a nasty response from Amos Grunbaum. Oh, you
2: did? You I did. Yeah. Were alive.
0: Well, I tagged him on Instagram. <laughs> the official stance from the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists is that hospital birth is always the safer option. Not always. Well, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology recommends that all pregnant women get a Tdap, flu, and COVID vaccine shot while they're pregnant, and even theoretically, all at the same time, as if there's ever been a study to show that any of them are safe, yet all three of them at the same time are safe, right? This is is the, the college that is telling you that home birth is unsafe. So again, when people have no credibility, that's exactly what it means. They have no credibility. So why would we listen to them and trust them to tell us something that's credible? You either your credibility is all you have. And when you lose your credibility because you say things that are stupid or you promote things that are unscientific or you attack people because they disagree with you, you have no credibility.
2: Okay.
0: Okay. So enough of that.
2: Okay. I was like, I promote things that are unscientific. No, you don't.
0: No, you don't.
2: I mean, yeah, I do. Because I don't always
0: listen to the science. Well, okay. That's fair. That's fair. Because, well, the truth is, what's labeled as scientific is often so wrong. Right. So I guess I used the wrong word. Reliable. Honest. Right. When you give up your reliability or your honesty. All right. Because you're right. I can quote scientific stuff and know that I'm actually quoting. Yeah. You know, misinformation yeah right you're right
2: yeah good point i trust nature
0: excellent point speaking of that point just briefly there was an article that came out that said the fda was backtracking on its statements about ivermectin Mm -hmm. and that because ivermectin has shown in many countries of the world to to actually have some benefit given early in covid Mm -hmm. along with other protocols like vitamin D, cursetin, um zinc. zinc, bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. So, But the FDA says that they never said that you shouldn't take ivermectin. They said it was their recommendation was not to take ivermectin, but you didn't have to follow their recommendation. Mm-hmm. This is what they said. Mm-hmm. So if anybody from the FDA is listening, I just want to say to you that the FDA and the CDC told pharmacists from Walgreens and CDC, I mean, excuse me, CBS. CBS mm-hmm. <laughs> there's too many alphabets <laughs> from CBS to not fill prescriptions.
1: Yeah, people were getting in trouble. Actually,
0: they put out a tweet that said, "Come on, people, stop it. This is not a therapy." Blah blah blah. And then they they said nothing when Jimmy Kimmel and other people talked about it as being horse paste.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, they did not want you to take it. They did not want you to take it simply because. If it worked, then emergency youth authorization would no longer exist and they couldn't promote their vaccines and their remdesivir and their Paxlovid and all the other things. Follow so the money. they're lying. And then I saw a post that came out that said that the FDA never said that they, what I just said, they said that they retracted their statement saying only recommendation. That's a false news story. So they lied. Then they tried to cover up their lie. And then they tried to cover up the cover-up of their lie.
1: <laughs> it sounds like a spy movie.
0: But trust them the next time they come out with a right. Exactly. Right.
1: <laughs> Blindly.
0: All right. Oh my. So, by
1: the way, we did have a question from one of our listeners about
2: fondle massage. Oh, okay. Whether or not we believe that it's necessary. So, I thought that might be a nice little thing for us to
0: chat about. Well... Is it necessary?
2: Not
1: standard.
0: Yes, but the thing, again, it's a language. Is it necessary? Mm-hmm. Sometimes.
1: Sometimes. Right. So let's discuss when you might decide that it's good. When do you think it's a good time to do fundal massage?
0: When one when the I believe that the uterus is atonic, which means it's not toning up very well. Right. So there are circumstances where that happens when a woman has been pushing for a really long time or had a like polyhydramnios or maybe a very large baby or twins. Or a
1: grand multip.
0: Or a grand multip, right? So you might be a little more aggressive with those people because you want to stay ahead of the eight ball. You don't want to get behind the eight ball. If, a woman, if, if you don't pay attention quickly after birth, sometimes a woman will build up six, seven, 800 cc's of blood in their, in their uterus, which then gets really boggy. And then you finally milk those clots out and now you're chasing your tail. So you want to be ahead of time. So routine fundal massage, not necessarily something that always we would encourage. needs
1: to be done, right?
0: Right. But if I had to err on the side of just asking a woman, can, is it okay if I push on your uterus a little bit here? And I've never really had a woman say no. They may mm-hmm. say, can you wait a minute or something like that, but they, mm-hmm. they'll never say no. And I just check. And then what I like to do is educate as well. Mm -hmm. When I find the fundus and it's rock hard and it's four centimeters below the umbilicus, I say, can I borrow your hand for a second? I want you to feel this. And I take their hand and I touch it. They go, Whoa, what's that? And I go, that that's uterus. Mm -hmm. Uterus was this big and now it's this big and we want to keep it that big. And Mm -hmm. if you keep checking it, then we won't have to. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, I think it's a useful tool to have in your tool bag, of course.
1: Of course. Yeah, absolutely.
0: You as a midwife. I would agree with
1: most of that. I definitely think that you can palpate the fundus um, after the placenta has been delivered, or maybe if you're waiting for the placenta to kind of see what's going on in a more gentle way. And also teaching the mom so that she can do it is a great way to be able to do that. Because, you know, what I noticed is that women at home are often reporting to me, like, you know, after the placenta comes out and we've made sure everything looks good and you put on ice and you kind of step away and give them food and like start cleaning up and all of that. Women will report to me, hey, I'm feeling bleeding. I'm, you know, like they'll say things to me to let me know. So I do think that they can be partners in that experience as well in making sure that everything is normal and they're going to touch their fundus in a way that's different than we are because they're inside their own body. But there are times like the woman that I did talk about that I had to transport here. Every time we would kind of pause, we would come back and her fundus was boggy again and so the only time it stayed firm was when I was massaging it. And so that was one of the indicators that we had a serious problem because I couldn't continue to stand there and like make sure her uterus was firm, right? So um, yeah. you, you need to know that, that that things are safe. And the other thing is when you do, if you are concerned about clots and you do a, a pretty, I don't like the word aggressive, but you know, you really do rub it up very intently, sometimes those clots will pop out. And another sign that a woman might have clots is after, I mean, it's, you have to really distinguish between the two, either after pains, which is when the uterus is clamping down, or sometimes when they have a clot and things are building up in there, they do get really uncomfortable.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And
1: that's another good sign to know that maybe you might need to
0: how often, interfere. How often when you do that, do you use a vaginal hand as well?
1: Only when I feel like I might really need have a clot, and I try and change positions and do other things as well to see if you know if if we're using gravity too. Like if she gets on the toilet, we're usually going to release a clot without having to cause that discomfort. Mm-hmm. Her. But sometimes it is a, a valuable tool. And again, the tools. Yeah, and we,
0: no you know, and I, better. and I, because I've become an honorary midwife, I sort of have an aversion to using medication when I can avoid it. -hmm. Even I am pitocin. I love to not have give a woman any artificial pitocin Mm -hmm. to deal to Mm -hmm. combat with her own oxytocin. Mm -hmm. So I don't like using I am pitocin. So if I can avoid it by doing like massage or what what you guys sometimes will give homeopathy or other things Mm -hmm. sublingually to try to make it firm up a little bit, I'd rather do that. And so it's a very useful tool. Yeah. There you go. So Bliss, guess what time wow. it is?
1: It's time to talk about our sponsor.
0: Yeah, let's talk about Element. So Element, awesome. L-M-N-T, is that tasty electrolyte drink that's got all the good stuff in it, none of the BS. And it comes in multiple flavors. And we are going to talk a little bit today about one of the new flavors. But it's great for, for laboring women. It's great for birth workers. It's great for people when working out, whether it's hot outside or cold outside, putting in electrolytes with no sugar, is better for you and your body. So Bliss, tell us it because Element's proud to announce they've got a new flavor.
1: It's so funny, right? We just did this special on chocolate and then they hit us with this. So they have a chocolate medley that includes three flavors, chocolate caramel, mint chocolate, and chocolate salt. And all chocolate flavors are enjoyed hot on their own or in your hot beverage, like hot chocolate, chocolate, no peppermint mocha or any other cozy beverage you can create the chocolate medley and all its chocolate caramel and mint chocolatey salty goodness is here for a limited time and when it's gone it's gone so get it while it's hot
0: Well, wow, so if you guys want to have a chocolate menage you got three flavors <laughs> of chocolate go for it <laughs> go uh, for it just go to drinkelement.com element.com backslash birthing instincts and for every order you'll get a free sample pack we've sort of that's some confusion lately because I've been saying it wrong. So it's drinklmnt.com backslash birthing instincts. Whatever you order, they'll add in a free sample pack. Thanks, Element. Thank you. I have some uh, doctor dogma and dumb hospital dogma from uh, Instagram fellow traveler Nubia. And I'm just going to read what she wrote to me. She says, I'm going to ask you a question. It's okay if you can't answer. Mm -hmm. By the way, it's very kind of when people do that, because I tend to answer everybody who writes me with a question. I do have a consultation service, and sometimes these questions they ask are multifactorial, and it really would to be, I give them a good answer. I say, listen, I really can't answer that. I can't really be specific to your case because I don't know your history. I can only speak in general terms. I might then say, generally, this is what I would say. But if you want to talk more about your thing, you can go to my website, find the consultation page and sign up. Yeah. But I try, you know, it's very hard for me because I know I want to answer people, but I also don't have that much time. So your time and your
2: expertise. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: now that I'm sort of not doing as many births as I used to, I I have to have an alternative source of revenue to only fair. Yeah. Okay. So thank you to our sponsors. (laughs) Right. Yeah. We'll be talking about them intermittently through the podcast, but um, I'm a birth doula. Very new. And I had a birth last week. I'm so impressed and sad about some parts of this birth experience, and I'm trying to understand if my attitude as a doula needed to be different. Let's see where this is going. (laughs) This is a very long story. It's not that long, actually. So uh,
1: (laughs) Comparatively.
0: Comparatively to the stories I get. (laughs)
2: Yeah.
0: As this client was induced first at 37 weeks, Mm -hmm. because her blood pressure was high twice on a day when they told her she would need to be induced, after almost 24 hours at the hospital and five doses of cytotec and no progress, they sent her home. So clearly, her blood pressure was so worrisome that they needed to induce her at 37 weeks. But when they couldn't get her induced, they said, you go, don't home. Need to go home.
2: It <laughs> changed our mind. home.
0: <laughs> These are the experts in my field. <laughs> right. and
2: That's not dangerous.
0: Now back home, her blood pressure is great. She goes to the doctor for a regular visit. And because she had this episode of high blood pressure, what are they going to do for her when she goes to the office for a regular visit? Check her blood pressure. And that's normal. What else would they do for her? They're going to do an ultrasound. Oh. Right. they can do like a biophysical profile at Uh at 37, 37 37 weeks. Of course they are. Okay. And what do they tell her? They tell her their amniotic fluid is low. (laughs) And she needs to be induced again at 38 weeks. (laughs) All right. So at 37 weeks, she needed to be induced, but it didn't work, so we just gave up on it. Okay. Now a week later, now they, she goes in for testing, and they say their fluid is low. We need to induce you at 38 weeks. Now I don't know if that was the same day or if it was so low, but it was only 37 hours. We're gonna we're gonna wait three more days. Well, if it's so low, why are you, why are you worried? And if it's not worried enough to do it right away, then why are we even telling her about it? Right. Right. I hope that came out. You understood what I, said. I
1: do. <laughs> I understand.
0: All right. We go back to the hospital and go through the process now with Cervadil.
2: Mm-hmm. which
0: is the removable one. It's, a, it's like a strip with a mm-hmm. string on it. Mm-hmm. it
2: someone,
1: looks, someone called it a Barbie tampon.
0: Yeah, it's like a Barbie tampon, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> not, not that I know that. It. It's a very weird <laughs> image for It might even be a Ken tampon, for all we know. Oh, goodness, move on, move on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, the time we had waiting for her to progress was actually okay. They left her alone and very few vaginal exams and not for... And, oh yeah, she. The, it got cut off there. And very few vaginal exams. It's like, why are they doing any? She's not in labor. Yeah. How many times are you gonna do a vaginal exam? So, Nubia, there's no reason to do vaginal exams repeatedly on somebody who's not in labor.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and it's not. There's very change. rare reasons to do it on somebody who's in labor either. Yeah. Just watch them. Listen to the sounds they make. Let them move around. You can tell. Yeah. The two deliveries that that I did. The V back and the breach. The V back we didn't check once. Yeah. And the breach, maybe the midwife checked her once when I was like on the couch someplace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the breach, I think we checked twice total, mm-hmm. the whole time. Yeah. Right. Once at eight centimeters. It's the first time we checked her. And then she really felt like pushing, but she wasn't pushing effectively. So I checked her one more time to be sure that the cervix was gone. And then we didn't check her at all. So she had two batch exams, both with intact Mm membranes. Okay. Anyway, um, we had time to work together using the room, birth ball, aromatherapy, and so on, until she chose an epidural. She was three centimeters when they took the cervidil out, and she progressed to eight centimeters all on her own. And then she stalled a little, and they started pitocin.
2: Mm -hmm. Why? Because that's
1: what they do for an induction.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Because they're looking at their watch. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Until the time came, I have never seen a birth with so much hands-on in my whole time as a doula and even before with my family and friends. They could not stop massaging her perineum and had four fingers inside her as she was pushing, which led to a second-degree tear and a few stitches. Yeah. I gave them a terrible look, and they kind of stopped for a while with the fingers, but that was not enough. And I would just like to say that, that perineum massage sometimes is a helpful tool, like bundle massage yeah and with permission from the patient it works like it helped in the deliveries we did the other day they were having a little trouble and and the midwife asked if she could do that and mm-hmm. and the woman said yes and and it seemed to make things go faster but it was with permission and it wasn't with four fingers
1: yeah and faster right that's still the same kind of thing making yeah. things go faster right? yeah a little it's, bit so you need help like i had that mom the other day who was having a d-cell and so I got her on the stool. Yeah, and I definitely yeah. was helping her push yeah. down. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, let's see. I gave him mm-hmm. a terrible look, but that was not enough. Mm-hmm. And later with the tug of the placenta, mm-hmm. which I was holding myself and actually said it needs a little more time, they listened to me for probably five minutes. My question is, could I, as a doula, have said something about such hands-on birth? I was so upset, so frustrated with the whole thing. Everything was as was at her birth plan including please no students oh everything was in her birth plan mm-hmm. including please no students and they had someone practicing giving her the stitches so they had a resident obviously yep i love what i do with all my heart i'm trying to understand where i stand what can and should do to better serve my clients i left there happy and at the same time feeling like i failed my client as a professional there's another i failed my client we we saw that earlier with the rn's too mm-hmm. How do I know my limits in a hospital setting? You want to answer that?
2: Oh, goodness gracious. This isn't a
1: complicated, it's a yeah, complicated thing. Yeah, I think we whole podcast. On. Because there are, from doula training perspectives, there is a scope of practice. But there's a whole other philosophy and group of people who believe that that's bullshit. That doulas, again, are traditional birth workers since women have been having birth. And so for someone to put parameters on that and to say, this is your scope of practice and this isn't, is really not always serving the client. So it is complex. And I do know what it feels like to be in the room and feel powerless when you're watching somebody do something with your client. Usually what I try and do is empower the dad to speak, because a lot of times, they will dismiss what the doula has to say. They may even ask you to leave. So then you really can't be helpful. You know, we we did a podcast back on a Halloween episode where the doula absolutely was advocating oh, right. and standing up for And I was so proud of her because it is really difficult to sit there and watch, like we were saying, abuse or rape. You know, that's what it feels like. It's not actually what's happening. But that's how it feels is that you're standing by why someone is being abused.
0: So it's not she got kicked out of the hospital. She
1: did get kicked out of the hospital. So, you know, it is not an easy thing to be able to assess, but I feel like giving the dad information and empowering the dad going and whispering in his ear, hey, by the way, I don't know if you realize, but that person is not the doctor who's about to give the stitches. And I know you guys had requested to not have students. So you might want to speak up. You know, these are the kind of things because when the dad says it, they're much more likely to listen and respect their wishes than if the doula speaks up. But it is a very complex issue, and I understand how she's feeling.
0: Yeah, I'll just leave it at that, because there's such, so many conflicts of interest involved, especially when you, we talked about hospital-based doulas and mm-hmm. people that are hired by the hospital. And mm-hmm. you speak up there, you're going to probably lose your job. And if you speak up as a private doula, you'll you sort of get blacklisted by the nurses and labor and delivery and stuff like that, all oh, that she's here again and blah, blah, blah. And mm-hmm. So, Yeah, but you know what? You just have to gain your power, Nubia, and you have to, it's trial and error. You'll find that some things will work, some things won't work, but ultimately be true to yourself and advocate for your client yeah. because she's the one that hired you and you don't have to worry about the personal feelings of the other people who are violating your client's rights. Right. Okay. She says, I just wish everyone could have home births (laughs)
2: yes,
0: (laughs) or birthing center births. Why do we see so many young professionals still so attached to an old broken system? Yeah, good question. Because the old broken system people are indoctrinating the young professionals into a system that works really well. As I said before, it works really, really well for the people running the system. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work for people in the system or working in the system or patients of the system, but it works really, really well for the people the administrators, the risk managers, the profiteers, the people that are, you yeah, they, they know, fear well.
1: Fear is a really strong motivator.
0: I guess I just wanted to share this as you do an amazing, beautiful work on the field. Thank you. Thank you. Nubia. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Yeah. I think I have one more Instagram thing. So let me find wait, it.
1: Your brain is almost emptied.
0: Yeah. I can't wait. I mean, I feel like my home in Utah at that You know, I've gone through now one huge dumpster and now two small dumpsters. And it feels so great to go out there and fill dumpsters up, dumpster stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. and just because it's gone. It's gone. And I'm thinking that this hopefully will be my last move ever so that I can get everything settled where it's going to be. Yeah. And that's the way my brain feels. When I come and have a Wednesday with you and I have a bunch of stuff on my mind because I've been it's been building up all week. And then I sit here with you for an hour or just zoom with you for an hour or longer. Not <laughs> on our podcast. Our podcast used to be way less than an hour. I know, now, 45 minutes know. we would cut it
2: off.
0: I know. Okay. So anyway, yeah, my brain feels much much better. Oh, there you are. There we are talking in an Instagram. <laughs> so let me find the Pennsylvania midwife here. And the Pennsylvania midwife, she posted a post back a few days ago and she talked about well here's what she says. It came to my surprise when I found my words quoted in Midwifery Today article from March of 2021. If you wondered how I feel about midwifery licensure and midwives being able to serve autonomously, there are a few quotes from me on the matter in this article expressing where I stand. One, the words in the red box were actually my words as well. Most of my thoughts can be found under these comments. So the words in the red box that she wrote were, true midwifery is not practicing medicine. I've been reported for practicing medicine more than once. Each time it's shut down and never an open case because I don't practice medicine. I practice traditional midwifery. If one is practicing with medicine in pregnancy or birth, that sounds so off-putting. She is, in fact, a medwife, mm-hmm. trained by the patriarchal didactic system itself.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And she goes on, that being said, all walks and paths of midwifery are necessary options for women to have available. Women need all options, traditional midwives, CPMs, LMs, and CNMs. I am thankful that those who desire to certify or license have the option. I do not agree with the limitations that regulations of a spiritual services places on everyone else, though. Birthing women and their desired attendance, it's never a me versus them. I merely shared my views, never bashing another. All who walk with families are a sister of mine. Choose not to read what wasn't said. Amen. So she, apparently she got a lot of feedback from saying that, that traditional midwifery is not the practice of medicine, but it's not.
1: Well, yeah. When uh, when she's talking about practicing like that, where you are not giving medicine and you are not doing things that are more medicalized, um,
2: then yes.
0: Yeah. She serves the Amish community, I think, in Pennsylvania. Yeah. That's what she does.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. I have one more letter and let's find it. It's from Megan.
2: Here we go. Very short. Can read? What do you want me to read?
0: Can you read it? It's you can read it. It's print so small. I can't read it. This
2: one? Yeah.
1: A hundred percent. I was this patient, six weeks pregnant and forced to choose between losing my job, healthcare worker in New York mandated to get vaxxed or risk the safety of my baby without a doubt the most rage I have ever felt. My OB practice refused to sign an exemption for me because politicians and ACOG ruled the VAX safe and effective (laughs) for pregnant women and were actively pushing it. I immediately lost all faith in the medical system, which was already next to nothing after working in healthcare through the pandemic. I get that. Immediately switched to a home birth midwife who respected and supported my choices but i will always regret giving in to the pressure and forced compliance to get the job what gives me hope new york mandated the booster and i refused prepared to lose my job and enough healthcare workers did the same that night before the deadline the state backed down because they would have lost a quarter of their workers if we all stand up we can make a difference awesome
0: yeah a couple things about that and first, that's from megan first of all why only a quarter of the workers refused to get the vaccine is is upsetting to me. I mean, it's 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 depressing to me choice. that 75% of people of healthcare workers just took something blindly without looking into it. These are the people that are supposed to be guiding us in our medical care. And they took a product that had never been tested. And now, knowing what we know now and what Pfizer knew then. Mm-hmm. By the way, apparently the um, CEO of Pfizer is is persona. I mean, is not is, is has disappeared. I don't mean that suspiciously. He's just not being public right now because mm-hmm. all this stuff that's coming out with some of these Freedom of Information Act requests by a bunch of different organizations and stuff that's all coming out. That's oh, right. Just leave it. So yeah, it is a bit depressing that people were forced to get it and you know and have regrets that they got it. And hopefully that their bodies are strong enough to take care of this and not leave them with some sort of long-term potential problem. And yeah, and she was responding to the fact that I posted something about forced vaccination and stuff. And she Mm -hmm. was responding that there was a oh, there was an article that came out showing that there actually is higher rates of miscarriage and higher rates of preterm labor and other placental abnormalities. That that's not misinformation. It's not hyperbole. It's not a conspiracy theory. There's now more than enough data in the world to support that. And then she writes that I was one of these patients that, yeah, that wow. was forced to get it when I was pregnant yeah. or even before I was pregnant. And it, you know, again, we're living in a world where everything is inverted. We should have 80% of people delivering at home and 20% who need to be in the hospital should be in the hospital. We should have nobody being forced to be vaccinated, nobody being forced to lock down or lose their business or any of these things. And yet, they're going to double down on that. They're gonna, it's going to come around again. And if it's not going to be another virus. It's going to be climate change, or it's going to be something else that's going to tell you that you can't drive your car here, and you're going or you're going to have digital money, and you can't, you can't spend your money, you can't buy a gun, you can't, you know, you said this on Twitter, therefore you you can't travel out of the country or something like that this is gonna this is coming
1: yep it's intense around there but i love that we are you know unified speaking out giving people a different perspective because i think that's
0: important yeah and the last thing i wanted to do is our loyal listener raquel who had to reach home be back after three c-sections sort of famous now (laughs)
2: yeah
0: um she wrote me about something called the Mm snoo and i talked to you about it before the podcast started you know she basically said that it's it's a way to ignore, to take your baby away from your skin, wrap your baby up like a burrito and ignore your baby's cues for hours at a time. Yeah. So her conclusion was don't get a snoo. Don't get a snoo. <laughs> Do you agree sort of that? it's? You
1: know, again, there are tools like pacifiers and bottles and and strollers and things like the snoo and all that kind of stuff those little baby carriers that vibrate or swings. Those are all tools. So they're not necessarily terrible. If you are somebody who needs a little bit of support, sometimes you have a baby that's really needy. You need to go to the bathroom. You've got other children who need attention. So I'm not saying across the board that those things are terrible, but We do need to be aware that they are something that is trying to mimic a mom or a dad or a caregiver and what the baby is really desiring is connection and attention. And so using those things judiciously. You know, just like the interventions when we're talking about birth can be great, can really help you out. You know, I loved having a swing when it was time to cook dinner because I needed to cook dinner. You know, but if you're using it instead of paying attention, then that's something to just be aware of.
0: And everything can be taken to an extreme. Yeah, I mean, a television set is nice to have in the house, but if you spend seven hours a day watching television, right. it's not, it's not right. a good thing, right.
1: Right. We do all kinds of things that aren't good for us. Yeah. Like our I mean, and-
0: having Diet Coke in my refrigerator is a good thing. It's just if I drank seven of them in one day, that's not a good thing either.
1: Everything in moderation. Yes,
0: yeah. everything in moderation.
1: Um, I did want to share that my final mentorship for the cohort that I have been working with for the last few months is ending this evening. Yes, you told and, me. Uh-huh, and originally I was going to do another one in January, but I've decided to take the winter and really have a break and really honor that time to just slow down and go within and, and really, you know, do what we're intended to do during the winter time. And so my next one will be in the spring. So those who are interested in joining the next cohort, we had an amazing experience together. And so it's something to think about.
0: Yeah. And I, I'm taking, once I get back after the ski trip and I'm going to be home for a month, then I'm going to be in Indiana teaching breach the last weekend in January. And then the following week, I'm thinking likely I'll be in Massachusetts doing the same thing. So we're starting to get things going for next year. And you can find out about those things if you go to the events page on my website, birthinginstincts.com. And I think everybody knows how to find us by now, so we don't have to go through all that. I want to thank our sponsors. The fact is we're growing with sponsors, which is really good. So I think we're almost to net neutral. <laughs>
1: And we love them. So Splash Blanket, Needed, Element. Element, Please support them and share the codes with your clients and your friends because it supports the podcast and supports us being able to do the work that
0: we Yeah. And use the right either backslash Birthing Instincts for Element or promo code Birthing Instincts for Needed and for Splash Blanket. Thanks, everybody.
1: Have a happy holiday. Bye-bye.